BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, this is Dan from Vargas, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Crank it up. You're listening to the Talking Metal Podcast with your host, Mark Striegel, and special guest co-host, Victor M. Ruiz iTunes number one hard rock and metal podcast. I'm Bud Friendly. Now, here are your hosts, Mark and Victor. One and all to another episode of Talking Metal Live. I'm the host, or I'm one of your hosts, Victor. And across the pond, as they say, is Mark Striegel. Mark, how are you? Good, man. I'm doing good. It's been a busy week. I actually, on the personal uh, note, started up a new gig. I'm a freelance writer-producer of commercials for basically cable TV series and movies. And I've had the privilege of getting hired to work on two shows doing promos for two shows this month, the month of December, for a new client. Uh, They're True TV, and I'm doing all the promos, well, not all, most of the promos this month for two shows, Lizard Lick Towing and Full Throttle Saloon. Have you seen Full Throttle Saloon, Victor? I have not. I know that I guess True TV is an offshoot of the USA Network. Is that correct? Or that is absolutely one hundred percent wrong. <laughs> it is uh, actually USA is part of NBC. True right. is part of Turner, which Turner right. is CNN, Cartoon Network, um, TNT. Yeah, exactly, and uh, <laughs> TBS, right? Turner Broadcasting um, and True. So we actually share the floor with CNN. If you go to my Facebook page, I posted a picture of the CNN cafeteria where I've been eating lunch uh, quite often. But anyways, Full Throttle Saloon is a great show, guys. It has Jesse Dupree on it of the band Jackal. He's the main star, one of the main stars. And on the first episode I came in on, Pete Evick of Brett Michaels' band, is right. one of the guest stars on the show who he's actually been on Talking Metal. CeCe Banana, our uh, old friend, uh, rest his soul, has uh, introduced me to Pete and I hung out with Pete when he was in New Jersey and he was uh, on the um, the podcast back, oh, probably a year and a half ago at this point, two years ago maybe even. But yeah, Pete Evick will be on this Monday's Full Throttle Saloon with Jesse Dupree from Jackal. So definitely check it out. It's a great show about this place the full throttle saloon in south dakota and a lot of you know go-go dancers and 
biker dudes and stuff. It's uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys will will, will dig it. It's uh, it's right up my alley, so I'm I'm happy to be working on it. And uh, <clears throat> I was also excited today by some some news. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts posted a new episode, Mars Attacks. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, music based episode. Wanted to get sort of back in the game there after uh, a little over a month. Uh, did one podcast yesterday for the uh, for my other podcast, the Incoherent Ramblings of Victor yeah. M. Was I didn't get that update on my stream. I was going to ask you about that. Did it go out over the RSS yet? Uh, yeah, it should have. I'll I'll have to check that out on iTunes to see why it uh, has or has not, you know, gone out. Sometimes FeedBurner gets stuck, and for some reason, it doesn't uh, update iTunes correctly. But uh, yeah, the Mars attack. Since since that's a manual update, that uh, <laughs> that I usually check to see if the feed's been validated or not. And once it's validated, it's usually up on iTunes shortly after that. So uh, so what I did was with the podcast I posted yesterday, I pretty much explained everything that had been going on with me the last few months, and uh, yeah, and uh, and then. With the Mars attacks, I just wanted to get in there, play some music, and just BS about different things I've been listening to. So. Yeah, I start. I only just realized on my way home that that uh, you'd posted a new episode, so I only got through like the first ten minutes. Of, I think I got right up to the end of the Dio song, but right. um, good stuff as usual, and I will be finishing listening to that <clears throat> probably this weekend. And guys, we post all the Mars attacks episodes right on the Talking Metal digital page. Uh, uh, talkingmetaldigital.com or just simply talkingmetal.com. So uh, if if you don't know Victor's podcast and you want to sample it, go to talkingmetal.com and go to the Mars Attack section and you can have yourself a listen right there. I suggest you actually subscribe to it on iTunes because it is definitely uh, a fun listen. And you guys know Victor from the show here. I've been getting a lot of great feedback on these shows that we do together, Victor. So uh, thanks for being part of the team. Uh, thanks for having me aboard. So people are checking in on Twitter. Uh, Talking Metal is the uh, handle at Talking Metal on Twitter. Uh, Thunder Ace VA says the levels sound fine on air. Cool. Thanks for letting us know. It's always hard to tell. And the people who hear the podcast version of this get kind of a cleaned up, uh, edited version. And I put, you know, I I try to get rid of some of the hiss and, you know, make it, make it nice and sweet if you will. But, um, it's, I think more fun to listen to it live because you never know what's going to happen. You never know, uh, what we're going to say. And, uh, it's, you can also be a part of the show like Thunder Ace VA, who's helping produce the show by telling us the levels sound fine. Fog Weaver, who is AKA Donnie G just checked in. Hope you talk about kiss Rock and Roll Hall, looks like it's going to happen. What drama is in store? Yeah, we could talk about that. I don't know. We don't have a, a ton of time. If we have some time, we could touch upon it. I don't really care. I, I don't know. I just don't. I, I mean, what do you in, – in 60 seconds or less, Victor, what, what do you think about the KISS Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I shouldn't say I don't care. I do care. I'm obviously – KISS is in my blood, but it's just – I'm not like – freaking out about it like a lot of the fans are isn't it wouldn't it be a bit phony though that after all these years of saying it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it doesn't matter they get in and then they make a big deal out of it 
you know. Yes, uh, yes, it would. Know. Rush did that last year. I mean, right. Rush had had said it doesn't matter. And there's a great interview with a, a halfway lit up uh, drunk. I don't know if he's uh, lit up. I'm not sure if that implies cocaine. I didn't mean that lit like I meant like drunk. Um, right. <clears throat> Alex Lifeson on Chad Smith's podcast from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's like like a 90-minute interview with him, and uh, he's just like, sounds like he's drinking, and you can hear him like lighting cigarettes and stuff. It's great. Uh, and and basically, he goes into that, like how, you know, after talking about how it wasn't important, it doesn't matter for so many years, when it finally came right down to it, he really felt like it did matter, and it was something really important. And not for him, not for the jerks on the on the the board, Alex Lifeson thought it was really important, the fans of Rush. And that's why it suddenly, when he got right down to the wire, he realized it, it was a really important thing. So, you know, I, I could see that with Kiss too, right? Yeah, you know, I, I guess so. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just think the whole Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is is a sham where you have – so many groups, and I think we've touched upon this before, where you know the whole debacle with Van Halen and with Guns N' Roses, and and I think those jerks were just trying to you know take the credit for uniting the bands and maybe trying to get a piece of the action of getting them back together again. And you know I'm glad that that backfired. You know not to be cryptic or anything, but you know you go there. I I've been there, and you're not allowed to take pictures. Um, they charge you a ridiculous amount of money to get in there. And then they have, you know, as any other good museum, a gift shop, which is an FYE, whose prices are like twice as much as the regular mall prices. So the whole thing is just a big money-making joke, in my opinion. Um, the guys from Rolling Stone have been out of touch for years with music. It, I mean, we touched upon the... Uh, Boston Bomber being on the cover a few months back. Uh, that just goes to show that they're just looking to generate controversy and generate revenue and money, and they really don't give a crap about music. Because if they did, honestly, as much as I love Metallica, um, Maiden should be in there before them, Priest should right. be in there. You know, There's a whole list of bands and metal bands that they just want to turn their back on because it's not fucking Joan Baez or it's not Lou Reed or things like that. And for people that love that stuff, that's cool. But if it's a rock and roll hall of fame, what pushed rock and roll or rock music during the, you know, eighties, let's say, or even the, the late seventies, it wasn't all just Pete Seeger music. It wasn't only Springsteen. There's a lot of different types of rock out there and it's a joke that they've just turned their back on anything that they feel isn't going to generate money for them. So Right on. Well, let's move on. There's a lot of stuff going on. First of all, we have a guest calling in, and we hope to hear from them at 9.30. It's 9.15 right now, so we have 15 minutes. It is Dan. He is the drummer in the band Varga. Now, Varga was a band that's actually has quite a history, although part of the history is missing. Victor and I were talking about you know, where these guys have been for the last 10 to 15 years. So hopefully Dan will be able to fill us in on that. Varga was part of Zoo Entertainment with you know bands like uh, Green Jelly and Tool and stuff like that back in the day. So let's, uh, let's see what 
Varga is up to now. We'll have a brief interview with Dan at 9.30, and we'll also play one of their new songs. Yep. So on the, uh, go ahead. Are you going to say something? No, 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 go right ahead. We have uh, people checking in on Facebook on my page. Mike says the Hall of Fame is crap. Too many artists that deserve to be in. They're still not in. I think Judas Priest, Ozzy, Motley Crue, Soundgarden, Iron Maiden, Slayer should be in just for their impact alone on music. Blah, blah, blah. Mike goes on to talk a little bit about it. You can read it on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash mstriegel, M-S-T-R-I-G-L. Mike, you're absolutely right. You know, Ozzy is in with Sabbath, but he's not in as a a solo act. That's a good point, Mike. Uh, We have Chiaki of the... Metal Moment podcast checking in saying Jakey Lee is back or something like that. I'm looking for the comment right now. And Jakey Lee is indeed back. I mean, I was very excited. This is almost a, you know, in a, in a way, the, the same way Axl Rose kind of just vanished for a long time. You know, I know Jakey Lee isn't as, as much as a household name as Axl, but in a lot of ways, he's, he's had a similar thing happen where, he really has just been completely absent and removed from the public eye for a while. Right. I, I remember doing the first uh, Mars Attacks Live with the two of you at Bionic. And I remember at the time we were sort of joking around about who would appear first, Jakey e. Lee or Vinnie Vincent. And it's obvious that yeah. uh, Jake beat Vinnie to the punch. Yeah, and I mean, Jake Jake has done little things here and there, as we mentioned on a, a recent podcast, but nothing major. So uh, this was, I guess, a big return for him. This He, he played a show in, in L.A., which I believe our friend Will Walner opened up for, uh, formerly of White Wizard. He and his wife, Vivian, right? They opened the show, yep. I think. Yeah, yeah, they were the main uh, support act. And... Victor, you sent me a YouTube clip earlier today, which I only watched like the first half of. But uh, what did you actually watched a number of YouTube clips from the show? And what were, was your opinion of the show? Um, I'm a huge Jakey Lee fan, first and foremost. Uh, he's probably my favorite guitarist, him and George Lynch, without a doubt. I love Jake's. Um, Solo album, to me, it's the best instrumental album that's ever come out, in my opinion. Really? The best instrumental album that's ever come out? Yes, because I do think that there are songs on there that are full and complete, where it isn't just some guy just masturbating with his solos, where there's full rhythm and full development and full things that make everything a full package. And it's not just... You know, Satriani or Vi doing some long, elongated solo with just some fluff behind them. That's just my opinion. (laughs) Um, But anyway, I'm a big fan of the Badlands albums, and I couldn't wait. You know, I saw that there were YouTube clips. I saw the track Shine On off of Voodoo Highway, a track that I touched upon in a previous episode that I really like. I put it on, and... Jake was great. The band was great. The singer was horrible. And I'm not the only person to mention that. I've really? seen Yeah, I've seen reviews online. Yeah, well the clip you sent me was of Ultimate The Ultimate Sin, the Aussie track. And I didn't think the singer struck me as being great. 
but I, I didn't think it was quite as terrible as you had told me it was going to be. Now, now again, I only watched half of the clip, uh, and it did sound like he was mumbling a couple of the words here and there, like he didn't know the words, which I, I could maybe give him a pass on. But you'd think, you know, a big high-profile show like this, the singer should at least memorize the words or had them written on a piece of paper on the stage in front of them or something, you know? Absolutely. There are words in the ultimate sin. And, and I don't remember right now what lines they were where he wasn't even singing the correct words. Uh, they do rock and roll rebel and halfway through the song, instead of singing rock and roll rebel, he's singing rock and roll devil. Uh, I mean, that's unbelievable. Is it what that must've been on purpose though, right? I don't know. I, I mean, that exactly what you just mentioned. It's Jake's return. It, should be a high-profile gig, you know. Eddie Trunk flew all the way out to L.A. just to, you know, intro them. And all eyes were, were on them, basically. They were yeah, I the- saw he was at the show and that he was in L.A. That's interesting. He went all the way there just for that. Just for that. So um, that, that's the thing. You You would think that you would be prepared. Now, this guy's day job per se he's the drummer in a band called war machine from toronto so you know this is probably or without a doubt the biggest gig he's played as a singer there are people mentioning online that he was drunk beyond belief that he made no sense like in between songs and that he came off as a jerk um what did the review say that you read again uh, this this was someone mentioning that he was just drunk and that's what was, it says in the review. Uh, I'm sorry, th- this is what someone posted on uh, on YouTube for someone oh, being. Oh, okay. This is uh, my bad, and, and I'm getting mixed up here. Um, what Mark's referring to is a review that uh, Andrew from Metal Assault posted. He was at the show, and um, let's see here. Uh, he basically says the following. It was a pure delight to see and hear Jake's playing. And aside from the covers, the four Red Dragon Cartel songs sounded great as well. But sadly, the show was heavily marred by the performance of the singer Darren James Smith. I should cut him some slack because this was his first ever gig with the band. But to be honest, his vocal delivery was weak to such an extent that even some of the cover songs were unrecognizable and unenjoyable especially the set closer bark at the moon, which he absolutely butchered seeking assistance from the crowd for the chorus lines way too often. He was much too intoxicated with alcohol consumption. The habit of drinking heavily before going on stage works for some singers, but certainly did not seem to work for this guy. Just to clarify, I have nothing against him and my assessment of his performance is strictly objective and unbiased. So that's from someone that's there and someone that sees a ridiculous amount of shows out yeah. there. So hmm. I, I don't know. It was, it was just odd. Um, I mean, maybe I'm just being overzealous or something because I'm such a big fan of Jake's and it, you know, I understand that no one's going to be Ray Gillen. No one's going to be Ozzy, but it just, sort of sucks when you expect a certain level from someone and then you get something that's completely different. But who knows? Like we're saying, it could just be 
the first show. It could be, you know, just a lot of pressure on the guy and, you know, who knows? Yeah, so, personally, I mean, how everybody knows I like to drink as much than, as the next guy, but it's like, I, I think that's totally unprofessional, especially singing, you know, alcohol again, doesn't always work on the, on the vocal cords uh, in the best way. I mean, I, I know a lot of heavy drinkers who are singers and they would always tell you, Oh, I only drink after the show. You know, it just, it just seems like such a high profile show, such a big deal that if you got to lean on the bottle on a night like that, there might be some issues there. I think it's stupid actually for someone to, uh, you know, go out there half blasted. Right. I agree. It's especially, you know, again, it's sort of someone's coming out party per se. They're reestablishing themselves and you know, you, you're going to half ass it, but. And out of all the singers that this guy could get, I mean, right. Why? And, and like, where the hell has Jakey Lee been? I know we've already gone into this, but like, why hasn't he been out there doing stuff like for the past two decades? You know, I mean, why, why not? I mean, it's just like, you know, I mean, the drug rumors chase him. Who knows if they're true or not? You know, we do know that Ray Gillen died of AIDS, which we we think maybe was from drug abuse. Uh, maybe it was from, you know, unprotected sex, although I think it's probably most likely that it's from being a junkie, right? Uh, it could be. I mean, I've heard, you know, both things have been rumored for years. I know with Jake, there was a rumor that he had gone bankrupt as well and that he was trying to, you know, recoup um, uh, some of his money or whatever. And that's supposedly why he put out that shrapnel album a few years back. Which- yeah, but if you're Jakey Lee and you want to you want to recoup your your money, you put together a band and you go and play dingbats in fricking Clifton, New Jersey and every club like that throughout the country. And you make five grand every night, you know, and, and you, you know, you're getting paid. You probably could bring home 2,500 a night, you know, personally doing that. And, uh, he did, he's never done that. And, you know, he, he's never gone and been a camp counselor at, you know, rock and roll fantasy camp where they pay you, you know, 10 grand to come for a weekend and, and hang out with, with people, you know, he's never, he's never, he, you know, this guy was in freaking Ozzy. He's, he's, his solos have sold millions, helped sell millions and millions of records. I mean, it's, it's bizarre, man. It's, it's totally bizarre. And the only thing you can think is that there is some sort of mental issue, either just, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's addiction. I have no proof of that. But but something that's causing him not to get up off his ass and uh, go make a decent living off his name, right. which he deserves to because he's given us so much great fucking music. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and getting back to the point of he could have gotten anyone, I mean, realistically, there, there are so many bands that he could have you know, been a part of, uh, he could have gone back to rat for God's sakes. He could have, you know, put some type of all-star lineup together with, you know, fairly famous people that are 
on his level or close to his level and as you're saying gone out and played and and made a decent amount of money but i don't know i guess some people as you're saying there there's some sort of disconnect along the way where you know i i've talked to people where they want nothing to do with you know how things are run now or how technology has become involved with music and everything and who knows? I know uh, when he did Badlands, I remember he wanted to stick to just doing things traditionally like they did in the 70s and 60s and things like that. And I don't know who who knows who knows if that will ever come out, if, you know, um, if something like that. I mean, I, I think we'd have to defer to Chiaki or something. Yeah, like he's that. he's posting all over Facebook right now. He says. He's listening, obviously. My take, just so happy that Jake Ely decided to make a comeback. It will take time for the band to settle. And he also says we should be positive and encourage Jake's decision to return to this tough world of music. That's Chiaki from the Metal Moment podcast chiming in on our conversation here on Facebook. Hey, Victor, we got this guy calling in. Dan is calling in momentarily. So maybe we should get into a little Jake Ely music while we wait for him to uh, call. Yeah, let's do that. We're going to get into a little Red Dragon Cartel here. We're going to get into uh, the track Deceived. Okay. But, uh... Cool.
We are back with Dan from the band Varga. Dan hey, Fila. Going? Dan Fila, right? I'm pronouncing that right, Dan? Dan Fila, that's it, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much for checking in with us, Dan. And Varga is back. Where have you guys been for the last 10, 12 years? <laughs> Where have we been? That's a good question. Uh, we, after the release of Prototype and Oxygen in uh, 94 and 95, we uh, just basically went our own separate ways. We were getting a lot of pressure from the record label at that time to sound like a grunge band, and we didn't want to go in that direction. Um, not that there's those bands are really amazing in their own right, but we were not one of those bands, so we just took a hiatus and did our own thing. And then 12 years later, Joe Varga called us and said we should all get back together, and we hung out played some music and things felt great. Went back to listening to Raining Blood by Slayer and Master of Puppets and the Big Four and it just felt really good doing it again and we decided to um, make a record and it just so happened that our close friend Juice Buddy um, did the first three protest albums and the Alexis on Fire records so he was, you know, came to our jam and said, I've got to record this. And Country of the Metal is what came out. Cool and entered the the metal has definitely to me a real pure heavy metal sound, if you will. Um, and, and when I listen back to some of the older stuff, like like the Oxygen record, for example, yeah. I hear hints of of you know heavy metal. Obviously, is in there, but I hear yeah. other influences as well in you know industrial sounds and yeah. and alternative sounds and i feel like enter the metal doesn't have quite as much of those other influences on it if you will is that a correct assessment absolutely correct assessment i mean we we went back to our roots i mean this band was formed in 1983 was our first show and uh you know we're 16 years old jamming and doing this stuff and we just went right back to square one um, in the 90s, we had a deal with BMG Sony, and there was a lot of influence from the record label on you know, how we should sound and what we should do. And, I, you know, at the time, everyone was sort of, it was, it was crossovers, and we, we were listening to um, a lot of the Nine Inch Nails and that type of industrial stuff, and it, it, that, whatever you listen to seeps into into the music, and that's, that's what was happening, but, you know, we we couldn't continue on trying to make records in that vein because we're, we're a metal band. That's what we do. And um, that's why this one comes back right to the roots because we, we, we're our own record label. We started a record label and we just did everything the way that we wanted to. And it feels really good. It feels really good doing this. So that's where we're at right now. Victor? During the time that you guys were away, did any of you work on any other projects, or music was just dormant? No, we we all were very proactive, uh, just not together. Um, right. Actually, um, Sean and I we did a, one project together called Hypo Dust, and Hypo Dust was if uh, the Ministry met Metallica in an alleyway, they would come out with that type of sound. It was again really heavy industrial but with real instruments. And um, Adam played in a variety of bands, and same with Joe. Joe's 
Joe's made a career as a singer. He's an incredible singer, and you know, it's it's. I listen to the singing on Enter the Metal, and it's it's way has you know the King Diamond, um, Rob Halford type of sound to it, and you know that that's because for the past ten years he's been singing professionally. Gotcha. And as far as the tracks are concerned, are these all new tracks or are these tracks that you guys had worked up over the years and this was just the perfect project to bring them to the forefront? Uh, that's a great question. Um, the, the first single off the album is called Gamera. And uh, while we were sitting around in one of our initial sessions a couple of years ago when we were hanging out, Joe pulled out this cassette that had a couple of the riffs of Gamera on it. So we went plugged in our instruments and just jammed out these sections and these songs came out. Uh, these songs are from material that we'd written, again, like snippets and we'd re- rework stuff, but this was uh, pre- pre-BMG major label stuff. This was stuff that we weren't allowed to record on a major label. So we just went and did it anyway with you know everything we've learned over the past 15 years. Um, when we first wrote... wrote Wrote, wrote, wrote and jammed these songs out, there was no way that we could play them the way we do now. I mean, we programmed the click tracks for all of these songs and the tempo changes and time signature changes and understanding how to get a really good drum sound. We used organic sounds and we played in a room together. A lot of bands these days are uh, doing the Pro Tools technique where they'll play 15 or 20 seconds of a uh, of the song and then kind of snip it all together, but we wanted to have that uh, that rawness feel to it, you know, like a band in a room jamming together, kind of like what Metallica did on Master of Puppets and Raining Blood and Among the Living and, you know, those albums, P-Cells, the ones that we really loved so much. So that's where that's where that all came from, yeah. Now, you guys once did a number of shows with Metallica, right? We did. We played with Metallica. We played with White Zombie. Played with Prong. Um, the guys in Pantera dug our band. We had dinner with Phil Anselmo in New Orleans. Um, Tour with Crowbar. The guys are in Down. And um, I mean, we we had the privilege of uh, hanging out with Dimebag Daryl and his brother Vinny in Dallas. And it was just, I mean, the stuff that came out of those two records was great. We, we got to do things that we couldn't have imagined doing. You know, a month before our prototype was released, we were driving around in the back of a bread truck, and then, you know, that album comes out, we're playing with Metallica, so there you know, great things that came out of it, absolutely. So, yeah, we, we, we played with the big boys, that's for sure. Yeah, and then back in, back in those times, we're talking about 19... 19- 94, 95, you guys, of course, were on Zoo Entertainment, BMG, as you mentioned earlier. Um, one of the more heavier bands, one of the bigger, more heavier bands on Zoo Entertainment uh, was, of course, Tool. Did you ever have any run-ins with those guys? We did. We met them in California. We went to see one of their shows while we were down visiting the label. And uh, all super great guys. I'm a big fan of uh, Danny's drumming and... Uh, it was, it was just it was nice meeting them and they're just a solid band. We didn't get a, any chance to tour with them, but uh, you know we hung out with our label mates and it was, it was a great experience. But do you remember a band called Green Jelly? They were also on Zoo. We played a couple of shows with them. It was kind of like a Guar spinoff. It was, it was kind of cool. 
Yeah, I do remember them. I, I think actually Danny uh, from Tool was actually with them for some period of time. Yeah. Yep. And Maynard actually did one of the voices, uh, I think, on the Three Little Pigs song. I, I'm not yeah. sure about that, but I think so. Yeah, that's that, that, it's, it's Small World. Yeah, we did a few shows with them, and that was, it was a blast. Also great people. So Excellent. Had... So looking at you guys, you know, 2013, 2014, what, what's the next step for Varga? Uh, next step is for us to get out there and play. <laughs> We're, you know, just honing the live show. We we had our CD release party last week in our hometown of Hamilton, Ontario, and uh, we have a Toronto show coming up. Then we're in, the, in our nation's capital. Then we're in Montreal. Then we're in Quebec City, and uh, the plans are to get out to the Northeast U.S. where where you guys are, and uh, the reception for Enter the Metal, the U.K. There's a, a couple of people over there that latched onto it right away. And there's plans for us to go over there into Germany. So, you know, we, we want to get out there and play this stuff live because that that's what heavy metal is all about. It's about getting in people's faces and melting them with pounding metal. So that's the next step. And Excellent. Also, Enter the Metal was recorded. Um, we recorded two albums at the same time. Um, Enter okay. the Metal only has six songs on it, but each song is seven or eight minutes long. So... We recorded enough material to do two of those records, and the next record is called Return of the Metal, and that'll be coming out in May. And uh, it's the, like the Kung Fu theme, Enter the Dragon, Return of the Dragon, where right. we're Kung Fu buffs and uh, old sci-fi movie buffs as well. The, the song Gamera is about a flying turtle from the Godzilla type of movies. So, I mean, oh, wow. Yeah, it's fun. We, we'd like to have some fun with our lyrics, but there's other songs like beginning of the end and no more clean air they're just you know brutal rips into the way that society treats the planet and how we how we treat each other so yeah there's cool lots of material excellent excellent well we look forward to hopefully checking you guys out live when you get down to the the states i'm in the new jersey area new york city area and, and victor is actually over in spain so who knows maybe you'll get over there sometime Wow, that's great. I had no idea you were in Spain. Sure. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, cool. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for having me on. We really appreciate the support. So let's get into a little Varga right now, Victor. What do you got on tap there? We have the Mad Scientist. Bye. 
was a little Vargo with the Mad Scientist off of Enter the Metal. I, I was going to ask them if they were going to, since they were talking about the Kung Fu references, if they were going to reference uh, the Wu-Tang Clan in the 13 Chambers as well. Oh, I don't know. You're over my head with that. I, don't know. I mean, I know a little bit about Wu-Tang, but obviously not, not too much. But let's talk about some other metal news that's going on. We spoke about Jakey Lee. Big news today. I think it was today, right? I, Joey is out of Slipknot. Or was that yesterday? It was late last night because I woke up today and I started reading it. And similar to what you're saying, I'm like, wow, this just happened. And I started going back and blabbermouth and realizing that um, I'd, it had happened, I guess, 11 hours before I had read it. So I guess it was yeah. last night. Z-Man is on Facebook saying, telling us that we don't need to talk about that. It's, I guess it's not newsworthy in his opinion. But I think it is. I think Slipknot is a very important band. Without a doubt. Of, you know, really in some ways, if you look at like the biggest selling metal bands and, and most influential bands of the last two decades... I mean, the two names that jump right into my mind are Slipknot and Pantera. Without a doubt. I, I mean, if you look at bands with their merch that have been able to continue, like what Maiden started up, what Kiss started up, what Metallica you know, started doing, uh, Slipknot is there. Go to any festival, go to any show. You're bound to see kids or now you know, people in their adults. Yeah. Uh, with, with slipknot shirts. Um, and you know, now that you see, I mean, I don't know if this is the case in the States, but like the equivalent of Walmart over here, we're selling maiden t-shirts and selling Ramones t-shirts, motorhead and slipknot t-shirts. So yeah, well, if, if they weren't making money, they wouldn't offer them with those other shirts. So, uh, so so the band is in the studio right now and you talk about making money. I mean, are they back because they believe in the music or are they back because this is what can pull them in the most money? Uh, you know, of course, Jim Root and uh, Corey have Stone Sour. And I guess Corey's doing that right now, right? And Jim Root is actually taking a break from Stone Sour just to strictly concentrate on Slipknot. Right. And what I was reading a little earlier today is that the rest of the band is already jamming on tracks. And what they want to do is 
once um, Corey Taylor's wrapped up the Stone Sour tour is to have him get into the studio and immediately record um, his vocals. And I guess they're looking at going out and touring next summer as Slipknot. I mean, yeah, which again, so Paul Gray will not be a part of the band. He's deceased, obviously. And Joey Jordanson also out of the band Two of like the real, I mean, obviously it's, it's a, a big band. There's a lot of people in the band, but two really kind of important pieces of the puzzle, if you will. You know, if you go back to that first Slipknot record, you know, the songs were credited to four people, two of them being Paul Gray and Joey Jordanson. Um, you had also on those first three Slipknot records, which everybody seems to love so much, you had really big time, big name, big influential, you know, when it comes to the sound of the album, producers. Uh, Ross Robinson, known for his work with Korn and Limp Biscuit, and even The Cure was on those, I believe, first two Slipknot records. And we had Rick Rubin, I think, on the, the third. And I don't know who the producer. I don't think it was either one of those guys on the fourth Slipknot record. No, no. Uh, uh, Corey Taylor's come out and bashed Rick Rubin many times, saying how it was the biggest waste of money that the uh, band has ever um, committed because they essentially said that he was never there and um, that he had his engineers working at all times and they would have just hired his engineers for less money without having to pay for. Rick Rubin's name is essentially what he's said many times. So there's no way that Rubin worked with them again. Hmm. All right. So we know Rick Rubin is not working on the new Slipknot. I wonder if Ross Robinson would come back and work on it. That's interesting. You know, um, I mean, who, whoever they have, they're going to sell a boatload of albums. Now, whether, you know whether this satisfies the core audience or not that's you know still to be seen because with so much you know change within bands you know we've seen with countless bands over the years that one member goes you know and people just uh, jump off the the bandwagon per se i mean i like i said to you earlier today this reminds me a lot of when uh portnoy left dream theater just because Portnoy was such an important piece of dream theater appearing in a lot of interviews, appearing in a lot of different things. And Joey Jordanson for the most part, I mean, with a lot of the the things that have gone on with promoting the various albums and whatnot, he was always there. I mean, it's always been either him and Corey for, for the most uh, part. So we'll see. I know, um, uh, Corey mentioned that there they won't use any of his material that he's already presented the band that he's uh, his band that he uh, just started working with a few months back. Scar the Martyr is his full time gig now, and um, we'll see where where it all ends up. I guess the the logical thing would be that either Clown or the other um, the the other percussionist becomes the new drummer, but I. I mean, I don't know if if they're at the same level as Joey is proficient as he is. So so we'll see. I know Metal Sucks put up a list of drummers that they think would fit into um, Slipknot. I mean, I think the one guy that they did 
mention that isn't doing absolutely anything right now is the drummer of Mudvayne, so that would be an interesting pairing in my hmm. yeah. yeah. Definitely. That guy's got some chops too, yeah. that guy from Mudvayne. Yeah. That's that's exactly why. I mean, if say what you want about their music, I, I think they're both their drummer and their bass player are, are both excellent players. I mean, listen to to what they they've done, especially on the first three albums that they released. And I think, and I think he'd, he'd be able to pull off a lot of that same stuff that Joey's been doing, you know, unless Portnoy surprises us and wants to jump on board with that as well. Yeah. I, I, I don't see that happening, but you never know. By the way, I know I've spoken about this book many times on the podcast, but louder than hell is a book that a guy I know, John Wiederhorn, was uh, one of the writers on it. And just a great section on Slipknot in that book, as well as Tool. I learned a lot of things about both those bands that I had no idea um, with Tool, just how much the the members hate each other. And with Slipknot, just a lot of the drama and stuff that has gone on in, in that band through the years and just the decadent crazy rock star living that those guys in Slipknot with the drugs and the women and the, just the, you know, chaos that, that, that those guys have, uh, have experienced. And uh, a lot of them have since cleaned up, you know, one of them has sadly died, but uh, a lot of, a lot of hard partying and uh, groupy chaos going on with Slipknot. Right, right, and and I think there's there's really noticeable difference from their first few albums as opposed to their last album. Uh, that and I think that has a lot to do with that, with the various members cleaning up. And well, you know, when they did the first record, I, I don't know about the writing process, but when they recorded it, they they all stayed sober for like the hmm. month or two that they were in the studio with Ross. And I believe that was something Ross required of them. And they, they all took it real serious and, and they were clean while recording that record. And, you know, a lot a band like that, sometimes you can't really be too off your game when you're in the recording studio, especially uh, because, right. you know, stuff is so technically tight and stuff, but uh you know, I've always, you know, I'm I'm an older guy, you know, and I, I, in some ways, I feel like, you know, Slipknot was a band that kind of more belonged to the, uh, the, the generation or two that came after after people my age. However, I've always found them exciting, you know, from, you know, and I'm not a diehard fan, honestly. I've never seen them in concert, but I've always found their whole vibe and their whole uh, just. Um, attitude and uh, just their whole thing the the whole package of slipknot i've always found it to be an exciting and compelling story and uh and music for that matter is also very uh compelling and strong great stuff slipknot yeah i i enjoy them uh, i can't say that i absolutely love everything that they've put out but i mean i think they're they've put out some of the better modern metal songs of the last two decades, as you've mentioned, and they're there, they're there for a reason. I mean, I, it's not all costumes and gimmicks. So, um, and I've never seen them live either, unless you count a DVD. So <laughs> cool. Well, we're going to wrap it up guys. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the talking metal podcast. A big thanks to Victor over in Spain for 
producing and then helping helping put this show on. Uh, did want to mention also we mentioned let's see we did mention that the new episode of Mars Attacks yep. is up and uh, oh Love Hate one of my favorite uh, well not one of my favorite bands but one of my favorite records as many of you guys know back from like you know the 1990 period was Blackout in the Red Room by Love Hate their singer was uh, Jizzy Pearl anyways Love Hate is on the return there's a new EP due out in January. And I actually got a download link from the publicist sent to me. Jizzy Pearl is is fronting the band, and it sounds great, man. I was really excited by it. So we'll definitely have to talk about Love Hate and the new EP, maybe even speak with Jizzy Pearl on the phone sometime soon. I actually uh, played a track about an hour ago off of that. Oh, cool, cool, cool. It sounds good, right? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It's, it's interesting that he's fronting Quiet Riot now as well. So yeah, and Metal <laughs> Sludge had something up on on their site. It was an old interview with Kevin Dubrow where they asked him about a lot of different singers, and you know he trashes some of the singers. But it, they asked him about Jizzy Pearl, and he says, uh, "Great." I, I forget exactly what he says. You have to go to Metal Sludge and check it out. But I think he says, "Great voice, intelligent guy," or something like that. So uh, it was almost like they were trying to put across that maybe Kevin Dubrow would have approved of Jizzy Pearl filling his shoes in Quiet Riot, but who who knows? Anyways, yeah, anyway, Slipknot, what do you got for us, Victor, to take us out here today? We have Duality by Slipknot. Let's do it. Thanks, guys. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays.
Zero.